Hi, friends. Welcome to Unyielding, a podcast for Pathways to Hope Network. Our goal for this podcast is to connect with mothers of children facing the juvenile court system. We want to use this platform to give a voice to the challenges you're facing while you're learning to navigate the sometimes scary and uncertain world we enter when our child has been charged with a crime. For the next 30 or so minutes, we hope that you will feel seen and cared for. We hope that you are reminded of your value and that you leave a little stronger than you arrived. We hope you are reminded that you have sisters out here who silently walk beside you in solidarity. Most importantly though, we hope to honor the always beautiful, often heart-wrenching, unyielding love that a mother has for her child. Hi friends, this is Angie and I'm so glad that you're with me today because today is our final episode in our very first series in our very first season and the series has been titled Into the Unknown. Now as I'm doing these podcasts or as I've been doing these podcasts over the last six episodes, I always started by sitting down and thinking about what I would say to you if you and I went out to grab a cup of coffee. I thought about what thoughts would go through my head if I met up with you at your local coffee shop and I sat across from you. Like the words that I would know in my gut that you needed to hear as soon as I saw the sadness on your face and heard the heartache in your voice. I've actually had a lot of these coffee dates with mamas, but this is my first attempt at putting it into a podcast. And like all new things, it's actually pretty scary. I'm learning a lot, but honestly, it's mostly by trial and error. So I guess I just kind of wanted to start off this podcast thanking you for being patient with me while I work this out. Slowly, I'm figuring out the best way to format the information that I have so that I can get it to you in a way that's easy for you to process. Now, if there's ever a topic you think would be helpful, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again, feel free to email me and you can email me at closedgroup.pathways at gmail.com. And I'm happy to consider any suggestions that you might have. I'd love to hear from you personally and just hear about how things are going or what you're really struggling with and if there's anything that I can do to support you. So for the last five episodes, we've been chatting about some of the things that you can expect to experience as you navigate your family through the juvenile court system. In the first two episodes, we talked about what to expect in the court system. So in episode one, we spent some time going over some legal terms. We talked about what happens after an arrest is made. And then we went over a few different types of hearings and what those hearings might be like if you had to attend them. And then in episode two, we talked about the difference between a felony and a misdemeanor and what degrees and counts mean when you see them listed next to a charge. We also touched briefly on plea deals, trials, and sentencing. We ended the episode talking about what probation looks like, and then we kind of wrapped it all up by talking a little bit about record sealing. You guys, that was so much information, and I apologize if those first two episodes were a little like trying to drink from a fire hose. But my purpose, I guess, was just 
like to make sure that as you head into this journey, you have at least a basic understanding of the process that's ahead of you. So after episodes one and two in this season, the subject matter kind of switched to you. And in episode three, we talked a lot about trauma and how our brains operate in high stress situations. And we also chatted a little bit about common feelings that you might be experiencing during this time. In episode four, our conversation shifted from your experiences to some of the challenges you may experience in your marriage or your relationships. We talked about some of the ways having a teen, especially a teen in crisis, can impact your marriage. We talked about communication and avoiding the slippery slope of don't tell dad. Uh, We also talked about different parenting styles, and I gave you what I think was a pretty cool metaphor to help with your mindset the next time you and your partner disagree. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to that one for sure. I think that that was was a good one, had some great information in it. And then in episode five, we discussed the small group of people who very easily get lost in the shuffle of this journey, and that is the siblings. We talked about some age-appropriate conversations that you could have. Uh, We talked about how to keep communication lines open. And I gave you five things to consider when you sit down to talk to siblings about what's going on with their brother or sister, which leads us to where we are now. The sixth and final episode of the Into the Unknown series. And today we're going to talk about the child that's at the center of it all your son or daughter who has temporarily gone off track and is learning in real time how to navigate the juvenile court system while they feel the full impact of a decision that they made that went completely wrong. So up until now, we've primarily talked about the feelings or experiences of others who've been impacted by the arrest of our child. We haven't talked about the thoughts and emotions that may be running through the young person who's actually facing the criminal charges. Depending on the child, it may be difficult for some of us as parents to identify exactly what our child is feeling. Some kids just are really easy to read. They either wear their emotions on their sleeve or They're accustomed to and comfortable with talking about how they feel, but others struggle to identify what those feelings are, and they may actually kind of resist talking about anything that they're feeling or thinking. And this is one of those episodes that I could easily spend three hours talking about all of the feelings your child may be experiencing and where I think those feelings stem from. But it would be a complete overload of information, and I'm sure you don't have three hours um, to spend listening. So instead, we'll touch on a couple of things, and then I'll wrap up the conversation by giving you one piece of practical advice that you can begin to apply today. So remember, as always, to listen all the way through. Okay, so for most of us who've had a child that's been in the juvenile court system, the memory of the day that our child was accused of a crime is probably never going to fade. It's going to stay with us forever. And it's all mixed in there, stored right alongside the memories of first steps and first words and first days of school. You know, these times that we felt broken, they, 
they just don't seem like they belong with our happy memories. But I guess they just have nowhere else to go. And I think I can go out on a limb and say that the same memory will also stay with our kiddos. To prepare for this podcast, I sat down with four young men, all of whom had the shared experience of going through the juvenile justice system and thankfully all in a much better place today. Now, in my conversations with them, I was completely floored with how honest they were and the perspective that they now held for what was once a pretty tumultuous time in their lives. I was proud of them and how far they'd come. For those that I met with in person, the conversations, they started the same. I sat down across from them. I thanked them for being willing to share. And I asked them this question. I said, when you think back to your encounter with the juvenile court system, can you remember what type of emotions you were experiencing at the time? After asking this question, I noticed one similarity in each of them. Before the answer was formed and they replied, each of the young men I was seated in front of looked down at the ground. Like it was just for a few seconds, but their eyes shifted down to the ground. And it's not exactly weird because people, they look away. Usually when they're thinking about stuff, they will look away. They'll look up or look to the side. But what is weird is that it stood out to me. It stood out to me because somewhere inside me, it triggered this like stored memory that I had. Now, in the moment when I was doing these interviews, I wasn't sure what it was like what this memory was, but it stuck with me for about a week. It sounds a little dramatic, but it haunted me. I kept wondering why that particular moment resonated so much with me. And then right before I was about to fall asleep last night, you know, when you're in that space between dozing off and being completely awake. And I remembered being in a courtroom. I remembered sitting in a courtroom with my child I remembered being wedged between other families on a bench. All of us were waiting for our own child's case to be called. I remembered being able to feel the shaking of my child's knee as it bounced up and down nervously. And the beating of my heart in my chest that seemed to match its rhythm. I remembered seeing each child in that courtroom stand up one by one as they were called and leaving behind their scared and sometimes angry parents on the bench. As they walked to the front of the courtroom, I remembered the uneasiness and the hesitation in their steps until they finally got to the front where they settled into their seat or they stood at the podium with their attorney. And then I remembered what it was like to sit and listen to a group of strangers now responsible for deciding this child's fate. I remember what it was like to listen to them review the charges and discuss the next plan of action. And my eyes scanned each of them, each of the people that were up there talking. And then it returned to the child and I noticed, perhaps because I was looking for it, a faint change in their posture and a slight drop in their head as their eyes shifted to the ground in front of them. 
And I swear to you, it was like I began to see these tiny cracks in the toughness of their exterior. And the little kid inside that awkward teenage body slowly began to appear. And that was it. That was the memory that was triggered for me. I think the truth is, even now, after so much time and with so much forward progress, that little kid was still in there in each of those young men. And I'm not going to lie, friends, it kind of broke my heart. But I know that you're wondering what these amazing young adults had to say, so let's get to it. I think the number one thing that came up with all of them was fear. There were a lot of fears. They talked about fear over how their parents would react. They talked about fear of letting people down, fear of knowing nothing about what would happen next. But the first and most prominent fear for most of them was the fear of what the consequences of their actions was going to be. For kids and families, the waiting can be extremely challenging. And many times the legal process can feel dragged out. So if you're in the middle of this, you might be experiencing this right now. See, the prosecutors and the defense attorneys, they're waiting for discovery, they're interviewing witnesses or victims, and they're trying to get a better idea of exactly what has happened, not just in this case, but in multiple cases. And all of that, it takes time. And so this process often results in families attending multiple hearings, which are scheduled as a way to kind of just check in and make sure that there's still forward progress happening on the case. And it can often take months. And the waiting period where everything feels like it's in limbo, it can be distressing for the child and for the family. I think because without a resolution, like families just feel stuck. They feel stuck in a place where time seems to kind of just stand still and their imaginations run rampant as they envision every worst possible scenario. That's like across the board for the parents and for the kids, right? Well, trying to move forward and begin the process of healing, healing uh, in your child and healing in your family It feels nearly impossible while you're stuck in this land of what's next. Well, along with the fear of outcome, the guys also expressed a fear of how this action would change their relationships. So they talked about wondering if this was something that would change how they were viewed among their peers or their teachers. And they worried about how they would answer the questions that were surely going to be Um, coming at them when they went back to school. They thought about what they would say or how they were going to address the rumors that were undoubtedly circulating. They also worried about how this was going to impact the way that their parents or other family members viewed them. They struggled with feeling like they had let everybody down. I think that was something that kind of came up over and over again with each of the young men that I talked to, and it's not really something that you hear teenagers talking about. I don't ever recall meeting a teenager in the court system whose initial responses were, I'm afraid I let my family down. I think that's something that they feel, but they just kind of hold close to them. 
And along with the fear, I think some of the young men I spoke with, they talked about battling feelings of depression and feelings of hopelessness. They spoke candidly about moments that they considered suicide and the effort it took to challenge thoughts that everyone would be better off if they weren't around. And that was a tough one to hear. It was heartbreaking, but Dr. Francis Jensen, who is a professor of neurology at Penn Medicine and the author of a book that's called The Teenaged Brain, A Neuroscientist's Survival Guide to Raising Adolescents and Young Adults, explains that strong emotional reactions are quite simply part of the adolescent brain makeup. She says by the teenaged years, the limbic system, which is the emotional center in the brain, is lit up. So even when they do an MRI, it's lit up. There's a ton of activity there. She said for teenagers, it's like their emotions are in technicolor. And the truth is they aren't yet in a place cognitively where they're able to see beyond their current circumstances. Their actions are guided more by the emotional and reactive parts of their brain than they are by the thoughtful and logical parts of their brain. See, that part of their brain, the thoughtful and logical part of their brain, it actually hasn't fully developed yet. So for that reason, I think it's super important for us as parents to watch for signs of depression in our children. According to the Parents' Guide to Teen Depression on helpguide.org, the following may be signs or symptoms of teen depression. Sadness or hopelessness. Irritability, anger, or hostility. Tearfulness or frequent crying. Withdrawal from friends and family. Loss of interest in activities. Poor school performance. Changes in eating and sleeping habits restlessness and agitation, feelings of worthlessness and guilt, lack of enthusiasm and motivation, fatigue or lack of energy, difficulty concentrating, unexplained aches and pains, and thoughts of death or suicide. I don't know about you, but as I read through this list, there are some symptoms that are there that even I was feeling at the time. And it's hard to know if what they are feeling, or for that matter, what we're feeling, is all a normal part of processing our emotions, or if there's a more serious problem lurking underneath. So can you give me just a minute to climb up on my soapbox and offer my opinion here? Friends, please hear me. If you or your child identifies with the signs and symptoms of depression that I listed, It's so, so important to talk to someone. This is not the kind of situation where we just want to take a chance and roll the dice. Therapy, even in the early stages, maybe especially in the early stages, can be so helpful in minimizing the long-term damage that your child, that you, and that your family experience. Now, I know that for a lot of families, the cost can kind of be a deterrent. So if that's an issue, there's a link to an article from NAMI.org, and it's titled Four Ways 
teens can access therapy without health insurance. It's on the resource page of our website, and I'll be sure to include it in the show notes down below, but it might be helpful, at least as a starting point. Back in 2014, there were some changes that were made, and most individual or small group insurance plans were required to begin covering mental health and substance use disorders. But if for some reason yours doesn't, or if it does, but the co-payments are just too high, I know that's kind of the case with our plan. It's basically like catastrophic insurance where we end up paying a pretty high deductible. If that's the case for you, then I would encourage you to at least try doing a Google search. And you can search for like something that says free or low-cost therapy or low-cost counseling services, and then look up your area. There's also a lot of online options that are now available, and so those may be actually cheaper as well. If you live here locally in Thurston County, you may want to check out the Washington State Healthcare Authority website because there may be on that website some mental health services that are available for your child. You'll find a link to that on our resource page as well, and that might be also a good starting point. The bottom line is just please don't take chances when it comes to depression. This is like we've talked about over and over again. This is trauma. So at the very least, if you have these symptoms of depression or you see them in your child, at a minimum, I would say to take your concerns to your primary care physician if you have one. Okay, so let's talk about this week's tip. This week's tip comes from a conversation I had with my own child. When we sat down to talk about this episode and my plans for it, I asked the question, looking back on it now, Was there anything I did at the time that you think was helpful in getting you through the challenges that you faced after your arrest? And after thinking about it for like half a second, he looked me in my eyes and he said, you were my anchor. You guys, I almost wept right on the spot. I mean, I felt the ugly cry face tears stirring up from the center of my gut and fighting their way to my mouth where they desperately wanted to burst free into uncontrollable sobbing. But I maintained my composure because I didn't want anything to get in the way of me hearing more. I knew that an emotional reaction might actually just halt this conversation right in its tracks. And then he said, I couldn't have done it without you, mom. Okay, so here's what I know. There are so many times being a parent can feel like a thankless job. No one seems to care that we're up all hours of the night losing sleep over worrying about them or about the effort it takes to make sure that everyone's needs are being met, that they feel loved and supported. The time that goes into tracking grades and meeting with teachers and driving to activities, or that it doesn't seem to matter that we hate being in a position where we have to give out consequences just as much as they hate being in the position to receive them. 
And during the teen years, when our babies who used to love and hug us all the time morph into sullen, sometimes entitled teenagers, you think it might actually be an eternity before you ever see some appreciation again. Well, those five words, mom, you were my anchor, were enough acknowledgement to make the cup in my heart overflow. And I believe with everything inside me that those words were said to me so that I could say them to you. Listen, an anchor has a lot of purposes. It uses strength and security to hold a ship in place. When it's attached to the bow, it keeps the boat from turning sideways and from being overwhelmed by the waves. You know what else anchors are used for? They're used to prevent a ship from drifting due to changes in the wind or in the current. And when they're lifted just a little bit out of water, they actually help the ship move forward towards safe passage. When it's used as a verb, the word anchor means to secure firmly in position or to provide a firm basis or foundation. You are your child's anchor. The one who, with strength and security, holds them in place. Even though the winds and the currents are going to push and pull them in different directions, your love stays constant. You help reduce the speed at which they drift. You slow them down. You pull them in. Although they may do everything in their power to remove themselves from what holds them back, the truth is they still need you. They'll always need you. The way a ship will always need its anchor. Listen, you don't have to always get it right. God knows I messed up along the way more than once. I was impatient and irritable. I felt frustrated and depleted. There were times I didn't show up in the way that I knew I should because in that moment, I simply had nothing left in me to give. I battled anger inside myself and I battled disappointment. I was human, but I did the best that I could. Now they got themselves into this situation, but as they're dealing with the natural consequences of their actions, they still need you to believe in them. Even if they deny it, they still need you to remind them of the goodness that you see in them. I read this quote the other day that said, what is sanity after all, except the control of madness? What is sanity after all, except the control of madness? Do your best to control the madness by choosing to be the consistent voice in your child's life that reminds them that they are more than this mistake. This is not the end of their story. Far, far from it. Let's begin the process of shifting our focus from all the things that we can't control to the things that we can. Whether it feels like it or not, we still have a lot of influence over this journey. 
Okay, friends, well, that wraps it up for this week. Thanks so much for listening to Unyielding. I really hope that you found this information helpful and that it served you in some way today. If you did, could you show some love to this community of mamas by leaving a review and subscribing? You know how lonely this journey can be. And when you leave positive reviews and subscribe, it makes a big difference in helping other struggling moms out there find us. Oh, and don't forget to check out Pathways to Hope Network's website. The link will always be in the show notes below, where you can access an ever-growing library of resources, like a list of local and national resources that may be helpful, a page entirely devoted to frequently asked questions, as well as our blogs that cover a variety of topics. When you visit the page, remember to subscribe so you're added to our monthly newsletter designed to encourage and educate you throughout this process and beyond. You also receive access to our closed Facebook group community, where we break down this podcast even deeper. Just a reminder, our closed group is a small group of parents just like you that understands what it's like to have a child going through the juvenile justice system. Take advantage of this opportunity to be part of a safe space where families can come together to talk about their struggles, help answer questions, and provide judgment-free encouragement. You can also find our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram, where we post five days a week, posts designed to help keep you fighting. Remember, family is like life. It's a fight for territory, and once you stop fighting for what you want, what you don't want will automatically take over. Until next week, friends, remember we are stronger together.